Welcome to Looks Like New on KGNU's It's the Economy. I'm James Brennan. This is a show that asks old questions about new technology, even addressing questions that should have been asked a long time ago. We join you on the fourth Thursday of every month on the radio, or you can listen online as a podcast. Looks Like New is a production of the Media Enterprise Design Lab at CU Boulder. Cryptocurrency has been in the news this past month after a cascade of bankruptcies unraveled the web of fraud. This comes after a year of already declining markets recast the 2021 crypto boom in a dark light. However, the headlines usually stick to flashy financial projects with big bottom lines. Beneath all this is a nascent movement to put blockchain technology to better use. This month, we spoke with Marissa Rando from Pactow to learn how mutual aid can be served by blockchain without ever adding a price tag to anything. Based in New York City, Pact uses decentralized tech to help coordinate community action. With a commitment to democratic governance and serving fellow community members, they stand apart in crypto for their refusal to engage in the usual financial speculation and venture capital games. As a relatively new project, many questions are still left to be answered but Marissa walked me through how PACT is navigating this unique middle ground of decentralized tech and local organizing. Marissa, how are you doing? I'm great, James. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, Yeah, so I think to get started, um, why don't you tell us just in a brief overview, what is PACTDAO? PACTDAO is, or PACT Collective, is a New York-based DAO focusing on the intersection of mutual aid and blockchain. And uh, so what does that look like for you, the intersection of mutual aid and blockchain? And why does that feel important to uh, work in? Yeah, it's a good question. So for us, I, I think that, you know, what groups are calling DAOs and this big like craze of DAOs, these decentralized and autonomous organizations uh, have existed as cooperatives and as these mutual aid organizations and these collectives and groups that have been doing grassroots organizing for a long time. And so when we think about the application of these tools that allow the democratization of wealth and uh, decision making, we think that, you know, these groups are such a natural fit because they share these values and are already have these kind of processes in place. And as well, you know, kind of moving money outside of the system and the other use cases for cryptocurrencies to create micro economies. There's just a lot of use cases that aren't quite popularized or talked about in the same way. And so we wanted to be the groups exploring that ourselves and exploring that with organizers as well. Yeah, I mean, and and there's, you know, this a legacy in a sense of community currency, mutual aid, research that's, you know, gone on for a long time and, you know, connecting it to blockchain um, makes a lot of sense. So how did PAC Collective get started? So PACT, like many mutual aid groups, started in 2020, like the height of the pandemic. Our goal was effectively to get fundraising for these uh, different localized mutual aid groups uh, doing on the ground work, you know, kind of honestly in response to different movements like effective altruism. We know that people people often don't donate uh, with data. People want to give to their neighborhood and they want to give to their community. But these mutual aid groups are pretty hard to find unless you're kind of like in these activist circles already or just kind of naturally stumble across them walking down the street. And so PAX kind of started as this donation subscription service in which you could donate a small amount, three, uh, $10 or $25 a month. We kept it low intentionally because during the pandemic, people had lost their jobs and wanted to contribute, but 
you know, we wanted to allow people to do that without kind of breaking their bank. Um, and every single month we would kind of funnel that money to a different localized uh, grassroots organization that we were highlighting and try to drive people to supporting their work, et cetera. Um, one of the reasons that we ended up pivoting over to Web3 was because we found ourselves often in this like grantor grantee relationship with organizations, which was really not the goal. We were trying to build more solidaristic relationships with them and um, get the hype out about them and kind of create a system where um, people could participate with them and as well, like we could keep an ongoing relationship. And so the, you know, the awareness of tools like multi-signature wallets and things like that uh, really inspired our model to switch from this one-off kind of monthly campaign to uh, partnering more regularly with these groups and building coalition. So in the transition from the monthly donation style collective to um, becoming a DAO and a multi-signature wallet, what was the learning process like? Um, and you know, maybe bearing in mind uh, other organizations that are thinking about uh, potential connections between community organizing, crowdfunding, transitioning to blockchain technologies. Um, you know, what, what, what was that process like? I think for us, what we found interesting was both first, uh, lack of receptiveness from other organizers. Uh, they were really not excited or not open to ideas of working with blockchain. I think that capitalism in the market has done a really good job at just making these tools seem, uh, or making these tools work for their own purposes, right? You walk around the subway everywhere in New York, especially earlier this year, and there's ads for NFTs everywhere, crypto.com, make a quick buck. It's seen as kind of some big gambling scheme. And so I think one of the things we realized in the transition was that it was going to be really hard and that in that like there's just so much bias to overcome. And as well, I think a job for us to provide some sense of utility and to really understand the landscape and try to promote groups like LaborDAO, for example, who use these tools for a meaningful purpose that are actually aligned with the organizations and not because I think early on we had just been leading with like, hey, do you, have you heard of multi-signature wallets? And they were like, yeah, I'm not interested. And also I can't buy my groceries with Ethereum, right? So I think we needed to kind of reconsider what these tools would actually mean for these organizations. I think in understanding that for a lot of these organizations, while multi-signatures provide, multi-signature wallets provide a promising model for managing money, the barrier to entry of setting up a wallet and all these things um, is still too high for these organizations for the utility that they get from it. So, you know, we took a hard pivot on cryptocurrencies and the technological tools being our, our leading kind of argument or thing to collaborate around and have made the decision as a DAO to just look into working with more groups on the ground, like supporting their work for first and foremost, and as well hosting uh, events of our own, things that people could interact with real life, right? Because I, I do think that a lot of groups hang their hat on a lot of promises and especially with local grassroots organizers, like promises aren't going to get you anywhere. They want to experience something. They need to see the benefit to their community. And so uh, we've been doing, we've been focusing a lot of our work on just these real life events and real life examples of mutual aid and hopefully in collaboration with them, the building of tools that serve their needs will follow. 
So that's kind of the approach we've taken is trying to find more organic use cases with grassroots organizers than leading with a, a pitch for the technology. And what have some of those collaborations with mutual aid groups look like? Yeah, so I think one thing that we've been known as, which I, I really liked, is a lot of organizers say they're anti-tech, um, but they they interface with tech a lot, and they also have a lot of thoughts about technology. Like, you know, many groups use Signal and feel really good about Signal because of some of the features that it has. Groups are on Instagram to promote protests and promote their uh, outreach, um, but obviously have their separate thoughts about Instagram. And so I think we've become kind of this hub for like conversations around tech, both on and off chain. As well, we've done a lot of really cool educational workshops that bring together both traditional like grassroots organizing groups, as well as groups that are using Web3 tooling to fulfill a purpose. And we center that purpose in these educational workshops, right? So they're workshops around, we've done three so far. One was on food justice, one was on labor organizing, and one was around mutual aid. And each of them brought in the technology in that context, like so in a context that was meaningful to this audience. So it wasn't just, hey, come and learn about crypto. It was learn about food justice. And through that utility, seeing how people could be using these tools to support food justice. And I think in that way, we've seen such a shift in reception to the technology because you know um because it's in context of something that that matters to them and and did you find that uh community members who came out to these events um any sort of feedback they had about seeing food justice and you know web3 mutual aid or you know did, did they have any feedback about how this might be uh have changed their thoughts on the technology and on the intersection yeah, I mean, surprising. I think we get feedback across the board. I think many people have never heard of a DAO before coming to one of our events or never heard of Web3, um, might have heard of crypto. But I think explain to them in layman's and explain to them in vernacular that they understand like food deserts and with alongside these other words, you know, at the end of the day, I think we're trying to communicate that technology is a tool and I think abstracting it at that level and talking about it again, like through this context, through this utility, through this cause that's really important for them. I mean, primarily the feedback is just that they're surprised and impressed. And like, I think there's like a warmness to understanding it and wanting to explore it a bit more that we've received so far. And I think that's that line, um, technology is a tool, is something you hear a lot from groups exploring um, Web3 uh, applications in when, they, when they're not as interested in, say, maybe quick turnarounds, the NFTs, sort of things you see in the news. You know, when they say technology is a tool, generally what they're saying is uh, within that, hey, there's another way this could go. It, you know, just because it's going one way, just because you see on the subway a crypto.com ad doesn't mean that's all this can be used for. And I guess I would ask you personally your thoughts on this idea of technology as a tool and maybe how you could see things changing down the road looking forward, maybe not just for mutual aid and maybe for crypto generally or just generally, uh, I don't know, thoughts on, yeah, this, this tech good, tech bad kind of question. I think it's interesting because it's, I think that we associate it with what it's become. I think we think about technology as something that's evil and consumptive and extractive because we are the platforms we're familiar with are Instagram and our Facebook and our TikTok and our things that have been designed to 
steal our attention. And we only learn about concepts like data after understanding that we have no ownership over it. Like we have no sense of like sovereignty under these tools and they are still relatively new. But I think that we forget that we use it every single day and that it still serves us and it's still created by people. Continuing off the idea of that there are technologies we don't have control over and there are technologies we do and that there's this sort of gradient between those two poles. Um, how does PACT uh, govern itself and how does that work with input from its members, from its central team and from the mutual aid organizations that are partnered with it? Yeah, recently with PACT, we've kind of separated into a few work streams and have just gone through a larger budgeting exercise that was determined by both our team and kind of the broader community, how we would allocate our funds. And so the bulk of our funds being used for mutual aid, we'll be governing that set of funds with uh, the organizers that we work closely with. Uh, I, I really love a lot of people on our team are involved in different types of organizing. Like some folks are a part of political parties, others are a part of the local community garden. Some of us are involved in direct uh, like food distribution and traditional mutual aid. And so bringing together these perspectives uh, in our discord, in our conversation and how we use our funds under this broad mutual aid bucket is really exciting and intersectional in a way that I think like doesn't exist too much in organizing, at least that I know of locally, like this kind of cross-organizational collaboration. But yeah, I think we are, we're currently in the process of kind of democratizing what some of our events and um, IRL programming or, you know, local programming people want to see. You know, it's something you see a lot with DAOs and Web3 that I think is interesting and just kind of a weird development that came with it is that a lot of people are using Discord to manage communities for a variety of purposes, all of Web3, it seems, that everyone just sort of bases themselves on Discord. And I wonder what that's been like for a you know, sort of local-based group. You know, the group is based in New York City, but much of the organizing, collaboration, communication happens on this uh, chat server slash forum Discord. And I wonder how that's been for community building, for event planning, organizing purposes. Um, using this like, you know, natively digital tool. Yeah, I think that that's a great observation because I think for us, you know, or as you mentioned, I think having something online is great for these decentralized or these groups that are based in a lot of different localities. However, we've kind of noticed that, you know, just having our community calls on Discord isn't enough. And a lot of those people who we do have a lot of supporters who are outside of New York, but many of them because almost all of our programming is local. I don't become active participants because they feel like it's not incredibly relevant to them. Uh, this coming year in 2023, we're gonna have a lot more events that feel honestly just more like town halls uh, where we're hanging up flyers and getting more people in the actual geographical, like local community to come and talk about different concerns and inviting them and organizers to just like talk about what's going on in the neighborhood. And that's kind of our goal moving into this year is, as you mentioned, really realizing how limited certain tools are and how fragmented these audiences are. Like Discord is just our community and a subset of our community because Web3 people are drowning in Discords and certainly not everyone is active. And a lot of organizers don't really use Discord. And so they don't tune into our Discord quite as much as like, we would want for a collective participation. Twitter feels like our Web3 audience. Instagram feels like our local organizer audience. 
And so we have like the, I think the opportunity and kind of the upper hand in being a localized DAO because we get to just hang out flyers and get and bring people in and keep reinvigorating participation by just talking to our neighbors. You're listening to Looks Like New, a show that asks old questions about new tech. Stick with us and we'll be back soon. Welcome back to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio. We're having a conversation with PacDAO, a mutual aid collective in New York City working with blockchain technology. And there's sort of this, I mean, on the one hand, there's these downsides to, um, you know, maybe people who are local who aren't as interested in the digital community and people who are not local who don't feel like they get as much of a digital community. But, you know, do you see benefits to maybe having the best of both worlds? Like you mentioned, you have your Twitter Web3 sort of network on top of the sort of local mutual aid connections that you have. Do you feel that there's, uh, do you see like benefits to having sort of the best of both worlds there in this sort of social kind of network sense? Yeah, I definitely do. I think that, you know, when we were in bull market times, there were tons of DAOs and tons of quote unquote communities of just like people who bought the same NFT and like would get together and then just realize that they didn't have any shared values. And that I do think that, and Dean Spade, who, you know, big, like the author of Mutual Aid, a uh, big activist and somebody who's really respected in the organizer community consistently kind of pushes that relationship and bonding and uh, that trust building is probably the most important value metric in organizing. And I think that we are lucky enough to to have that by having a locality and having people who see each other in real life, as well as a strong online community of people who believe in the same principles, who share I- our ideas about these tools, and also travel to New York. And every time they're in New York, we always get somebody like, hey, is PAC doing anything? We want to meet up with you guys. Like They feel like they have a group that they get to call home when they're here. That there's a lot of money generated in crypto, and you hear the argument that mutual aid organizations, community-focused organizations, uh, pro-social organizations generally, could you know get some of that money as it's sort of sloshing around this digital, scarce, shadowy economy right. and, and get it into the right hands. And I guess, do you think that narrative is helpful? Do you put much weight into that? Do you think you're doing something else? Or is that sort of point valid to you that... There's money flying out of thin air and you could get your hands on it. Hey, when money was flying around, we were out there with a butterfly net, you know? I think like there is something about <laughs> grabbing some of that, you know, magic internet money while it's there for sure. I do think that we were really particular in the beginning about not because I think for a lot of web3 organizations that means buying a share of that organization, right? Like you nothing is ever free and so when you get money coming in it's because usually somebody wants a piece of what you have. And so for us we weren't really handing keys over to the kingdom and we also made it very clear 
what we'd be using the money for, right? I don't think we were trying to sell glamorous NFTs or pander to some kind of narrative about, you know, this NFT is going to go up in value. It was, I think that we used the tools to capture some of that money, but to capture it through the right audience through this um, refi network and through people who kind of shared our values at this intersection of, you know, regeneration and finance and blockchain and mutual aid, etc. So yeah, I think that was definitely a small part of it during the bull run, but I also, and I don't see tons of issue with that. Um, you know, we weren't selling our souls out there. We were just putting it out there. And I think as well, the Web3 space at the time was co-opting so much of that language. Like you hear so many groups talking about mutual aid while they're like, they've never, you know, they don't know what mutual aid means. Like, not that I'm the gatekeeper on what that means. You know, I, I appreciate the answer because you, you had mentioned that you weren't making promises with this, right? Like, I think there's a sort of sense in startups and in court after VC money, there's this idea that, you know, there's, there's strings attached to getting a project off the ground value that sort of integrity displayed by pact in that no there was there's not strings attached that we are here for our uh for our members and for those receiving mutual aid and that this is all strictly donation based mm-hmm. and if i remember correctly over the last year people looking for like partnerships looking for like advertisements people coming with strings attached to like lending your name their money to your name right that, that kind of stuff right. um yeah like our Mirror crowdfund, the way that Mirror is designed is kind of that you're assigning a token, a financialized value to the somebody's contribution. And we were very explicit in our Mirror crowdfund that whatever quote unquote tokens you were receiving for packs for purchasing one of our NFTs was purely for play. And we're very bullish on the amount that you contribute does not matter in terms of governance. Like we didn't want to have this tiered membership based on if you had donated a thousand dollars you had 10 votes and if you donated ten dollars you had one vote you know everybody who participates in pact who's contributed to pact who's active in our discord everybody gets one vote team members included myself included you know trying to follow more strict co-op principles there yeah i think that just is, is yet another way going against the grain of traditional dao culture where and, and i think it's maybe fallen out of fashion in you know, crash that since hit crypto because it became very clear that tying your governance to a speculative token proportionate to the amount you invested was uh, not a recipe for a healthy community. So mm-hmm. I guess just for context <laughs> for listeners, there was a common practice in crypto that you would create a token, you could think like a stock that would be traded on the open market and your influence over the governance decisions of the organization would be proportionate to the amount of money you invested. And I think it sort of goes without saying why it's obvious a mutual aid organization <laughs> might not be best served by that model. Yeah, yeah the whales have all the control. <laughs> <laughs> so could you tell me a bit about PAX Workstreams and the sort of projects that are currently being worked on? I think when we first started under the umbrella of mutual aid, we realized that mutual aid is incredibly broad. You know, there's the traditional mutual aid that people think of, which is clothing and food distribution, like the meeting of essential needs. And then there's, you know, there's a lot of collective care and healing. And there's a lot of, uh, especially like queer communities in New York, I think have really, really mastered the art of just like cultivating good community and making things like things like yoga and meditation and time in nature and 
therapy more accessible. And so while we can't do everything, I think that we'd have that we have like three major pillars. One in which is that collective healing aspect. We have a bunch of people on our team who are involved in like herbal medicines and again like work at our local community garden who are very attuned to that type of work and are really excited. We've so far we've only hosted a like a free yoga session for the community, but I think more things like that are going to be on the horizon for PAC. Uh, second, I do think that education is pretty critical. I think that's what made the Black Panther Party's free breakfast program the most, like the gold star of mutual aid is not because they were handing out free food, but because they were, or not just because they were handing out free food, but because they were also providing political education. They were doing know your rights training and providing the tools or the vernacular around black liberation. And so I think having a strong education arm that I think is what part of what separates mutual aid from charity is it's not just saying here's here's a thing here's something it's it's true empowerment of your local community so I think healing and education are two uh, and the third is uh, just local grassroots organizing so the bulk of our fund is allocated to just this broad bucket of mutual aid and again most of the members of our team are involved in a lot of local organizing and so that money will be used on intersectional efforts between the organizations that we're a part of and other organizations that hopefully will come into the fold as a result. We've been having more intentional gatherings for organizers across New York. And so it's been really cool to see how some of those pieces come together. And those I'm imagining, I, I, I mean, I can't say because, you know, it'll be for the group to decide and it'll be emergent. But I imagine that a lot of work that'll come from that is is more locally based, is in both the care for organizers, uh, because they kind of don't really have a safety net at the moment. They just do all of this work for free for, um, you know, very few, very little gratitude. Many of them get arrested often. But yeah, for uh, establishing local programs, like I know this mutual aid group that I'm currently a part of and another member of PACT is a part of called We the People, they're trying to start like another location. They're trying to show up in our community more regularly because right now we're in Bed-Stuy um, from one o'clock to three o'clock every Thursday and we, hundreds of people turn out every week. And so we're trying to think about how to expand those services both to other neighborhoods and more frequent times. And so I think money will be allocated to, you know, honestly, just the furthering of like these beautiful efforts that already exist so that more people in the community can depend on them and we can give them more reprieve. Looking more into that difference between mutual aid and charity, um, how do you think that sort of distinction as you understand it has guided PACT towards some models over others? Totally. Uh, you know, as mentioned, and I'll take full ownership of this, I think early on in our journey, the over-indexing on blockchain tools and us as like these experts of blockchain that we're going to come in and share blockchain with, uh, with the people, with organizers, um, definitely felt more like charity because it felt like we know something you don't or we have something you don't and we are going to, um, I don't know, it, it felt like trying to impose a will that even if, you know, our, their needs were in mind, like this uh, need for decentralized governance and democratized fund management and things that we felt really aligned on. I think that we were taking a outsider's approach, right? Like we weren't meeting them in the struggle. We weren't solidaristic in our approach. And so to say that like 
packed, uh, has learned a lot in that journey. And just like, I think the approach really mattered a lot. I think the reason that we have such a poor relationship with technology now is because it is deeply centralized. It is like, it, it is such a clear power dynamic between the platforms and us and technology and us. The blockchain mechanisms and principles of kind of transparency and decentralization and mirror mutual aid structures and mirror the way that we want to see the world, which is, you know, non-extractive and non-hierarchical and is a way in which people, like every single person, their gifts are acknowledged. So what would PACT look like uh, in your vision, say everything goes right for the next few mm. years? What, is, what does PACT look like then? That's such a fun thought. Honestly, if everything goes right with PACT, the way that I envision PACT is very utility first. Like I think that if we're successful in organizing the organizers and doing all the things we want and we have endless resources, like I think the PACT will help build a viable alternative to the police. Like I think that PACT could start a community center or like a micro economy within New York that gives people vital services that the state fails to give. I think that that's my real goal with PACT. And certainly I think our whole team is kind of aligned on dual power as this kind of underlying guiding force, which is to help build these localized institutions that are run by the people that are strong, that are sustainable, that are so strong and so sustainable that the system can't look away. Uh, they'll have to deal with us. And so that would be my hope for PACT. And that's what I'm working towards. I hope that in any of these facets, whether it be food, childcare, uh, alternatives to public safety, et cetera, that we can help build community institutions. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, emphasis on dual power as like a vision of, you know, everything goes right, what can we achieve? Um, I think it's so central to uh, the potential for mutual aid that, again, continuing on this point, brings it beyond charity because uh, it's one thing to have this sort of gospel of wealth where, you know, we're, we're going to uh, better the people. I mean, it gets very paternalistic and mm -hmm. you look, you know, but hundred years ago, right? You imagine what charity was. That's sort of the, the imagination you have if you're going to put charity in relationship with mutual aid, where it's really about an interdependence and a, a, a sort of thriving together mm. in a sense that doesn't atomize. It's not this pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It is, we have a community, we have food, we have safety, and these things come from each other and from within and not from some kind of outside. And I think often the sort of gap that's difficult to, to, to breach between these, th those, those, uh, between something like how do we pull money together and how do we have this sort of communal thriving is, um, how do you, how, you know, people often make charity. Okay. Well, you hand it out to one person, you give one person, you meet one of their needs, one person, one person, and you, and sort of by atomizing it, you don't have this grander vision for the, right. for the success. And I think that's really the, at least, as, you know, my understanding what's so great about this vision down the line is that what you have then is you have the, these these resources in the hands of communities together. And right. that's not individual focused in any capacity. Absolutely. Yeah. Capitalism isolates us from each other and it works to serve itself. Right. Like every in New York City, we live in these tightly compact buildings, but every single person 
does their own grocery shopping, has their own Wi-Fi. Like we are made to be these autonomous little units and then we don't realize our strength. We don't realize our, we'll, we'll keep buying stuff and we'll be far away from each other and capitalism doesn't want us to collaborate, you know? Um, and so we don't. And so we feel isolated and we buy more stuff to make ourselves feel better. Yeah. So many other more revolutionary implications than charity. It's not about just meeting people's material needs, though that is crucial. Um, it is about forming interdependent relationships and solidarity with your community and resilience within that community, which, as you said, does not exist in charity. So with the community building that PACT has been doing with its members, uh, you've been running a book club. Um, and I guess I would want to know what have you guys been reading and uh, how has that been? How has that felt as an experience for building a community? Yeah, honestly, the book club has been pretty radical in terms of getting to know each other and in, in terms of really bridging some of these gaps and building relationships between members. Uh, so first off, it was proposed by uh, someone in our group named Michelle Ma. Uh, she works over at Gitcoin and is a really good friend. Um, she proposed like a pretty radical or radical for book clubs, a uh, type of structure where we all kind of read together uh, presently. You know, most book clubs I've been a part of, you kind of read, there's a chapter assignment and then everybody comes with their intellectual takes on each, on which passages they found the most interesting. And we did that, I think, our first book club. And then, you know, ever since she was like, hey, why don't we try just this popcorn style? We read together, we reflect together. And, um, you know, a lot of us in the group kind of joke that it, it feels like therapy and it feels both like therapy because we've read um, some pretty like beautiful poetic books. Uh, so we've read Emergent Strategy. We've read Robin Wall Kimmerer, um, Braiding Sweetgrass. And we're currently reading Sacred Economics by Charles Eisenstein. Yeah, it's been both really healing and reading these beautiful texts uh, and you know, uh, encourage a lot of openness in the way that people are thinking about capitalism and organizing and their levels of privilege and the work that they want to do. Just a lot of like unpacking and inspiration, um, as well as a lot of intellectual thought, you know, with sacred economics, talking a lot about uh, the inefficiencies of capitalism and things like that. You know, we're thinking about how to apply a lot of the learnings from these books into our DAO. And so in that way, it's also been a bit strategic. So um, I know a book club sounds silly, but it's been pretty radical and fun for us. And I think that it's also abstracted it from PACT. While they're not explicitly PACT meetings, they're things that have served us in a multitude of ways by borrowing wisdom from some of these authors and being present with each other in that wisdom. I think it speaks to a lot of, I guess, an experience I've had with PACT a lot of focus on the community building and the importance of the relationships within PACT as always being central to the organization. I think a lot of people when they're building something or the experiences they've had building things, they have that experience in a company. Most people have that experience mm -hmm. at their job, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there is a, a sort of atomized in the workplace kind of environment where there's a sort of, there's a sort of decorum you follow. And there's a sort of, you know, you're, you're the person you are at home and you're the person you are at work. They're your person, there's the person you are outside of work. And I think PACT has, you know, in, in the way it's this community organization, but it's also building something together has this kind of, like you sort of, you, you, you compared it to therapy in that there's this very productive enterprise of putting together this community organization with 
potential for radical change at the same time, the people you are doing this with, they're not just your coworkers. You're, you have an interdependence with them. They are, you are talking about everything from, you know, healing from drama to uh, economics and yeah. local uh, organizing. And, you know, it's, it's more than a usual kind of interactions you have with people at a workplace. Absolutely. I think we just, we believe that you got to live it, right? Like if we want to, we have to start to just be the future we want to see. I mean, that sounds cheesy or, you know, uh, stolen from Gandhi a little bit or <laughs> something. <laughs> but I think, um, yeah, I think bringing joy to the process is huge because one, uh, I think otherwise we'll fall into this trap of seeing ourselves as the do-gooders who come together to do good versus you know, a group of friends and family who really care about each other and care about the process, both in unpacking capitalism and patriarchy and white supremacy and all of these uh, systems that we <laughs> hate uh, in ourselves and people that we can be a little bit messy with and, and trust in that process. I think like in talking about decentralization, it's so much easier to decentralize your organization with people you trust and people you know care about seeing it continue and those relationships are really the foundation of people caring if pact continues our, the way our compensation structure work works is it's pretty at will and as needed by people on our team our multi-sig is pretty open to the folks on our team you know it, i don't think that there's that same relationship with uh an employer where you mostly make friendships because you guys are like commiserating in the struggle, right? And there's also this like relationship where that is predicated on on money and that it, there's just like you're trying to make the best out of a situation. Whereas I feel like with Pact, because we're not some big for-profit organization, because we don't have salaried employees or something, uh, I don't feel like that same antagonistic relationship is there. I'm nobody's manager. We all share the funds. You know, it's a uh, thankfully doesn't feel like your workplace BFFs kind of thing. Pact's structure as far as distributing funds to organizations. How does this go? Do, do these mutual aid organizations, do they have uh, open collective accounts? Do they have their own bank accounts that you distribute to directly? Do they have crypto wallets that you send cryptocurrency to? Um, you know, how does this distribution generally work? Yeah, so none of the organizations that we work with currently use crypto. Like we've we've ended up cashing out just our crypto to U.S. dollars, or we have enough U.S. dollars in our treasury to hand over to organizations. A big bulk of them primarily use Venmo um, because it's just like the easiest and most accessible tool. And yeah, if I'm uh, candid, I think historically we've biased like to the groups that we have relationships with kind of supporting them whenever they need support especially with technological things but yeah we as mentioned we recently went through a budgeting exercise to allocate a certain amount of funds to uh mutual aid and like really having active owner giving organizers active ownership over those funds whereas in the past we were kind of at will whenever they needed support or funds would just say hey we've got some of those and and give it to mutual aid groups the support that you offer organizations, um, what are some examples of things that uh, PACT offers beyond straight up financial contribution? I mean, so we offer bodies on the ground. Like we've been really active about a team, about as like an organization to showing up for these different groups. Because I think showing up for them, for their events, for their organizing meetings, for their mutual aid work is key in like building that relationship, right? 
Yeah, and then second, I think that we are starting to take more ownership at this intersection of tech and mutual aid. And like as through a lot of our work with these organizations, like those conversations just naturally come up, right? Like, oh man, like we're having a hard time uh, figuring out our budget or, oh man, like we are having a hard time getting active participation in voting, like, or many organizations, if not all of them that we work with have like this group of lead organizers and they're trying to figure out how to democratize their process. And so, you know, some of us have joined like that group of lead organizers to kind of like be on the inside and like help them work through that process, both with technology and otherwise. So yeah, honestly, just being like these go-to tech people, like for example, with a local organization that we work with, um, they're just like building a website. They have like this huge Instagram following. They've been operating primarily on Venmo and they want to set up a website and start thinking about how to accept funds more formally. And so we're helping them with that process. And some of it would include crypto and some of it won't. Uh, I don't think that we're trying to be too cagey on that. I think providing sovereignty and literacy around technology generally is really important to our organization. You're listening to Looks Like New, a show that asks old questions about new tech. Stick with us and we'll be back soon. Welcome back to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio. We're having a conversation with PacDAO, a mutual aid collective in New York City working with blockchain technology. I think highlighting how these organizations are almost entirely reliant on Venmo, or at least, I mean, I should say across the board are reliant on Venmo, highlights the need for something like um, decentralized, self-hosted, uh, self-governed, um, financial tooling, because there's no way around it. You know, if most of your donations are not coming in cash, they're coming from someone scanning a QR code and donating what they can. Um, you know, it, it it is easy to just assume that that is in the hands of a big corporation that handles it, like Venmo. Right. Like how social media is in the hands of Instagram or Facebook, and we just take yeah. it as a given. And I think really challenging that and showing the benefits of, uh, you know, sort of self-hosted, self-managed um, and governed, you know, there's, there's really other ways to do it. And I think, again, Venmo has this sort of atomized person to person kind of thing. And it's, it's exclusively financial. Mm -hmm. There is nothing in the infrastructure beyond financial. You could, you could like someone's payment for some reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Randomly and, see a newsfeed of activity that you don't care about. I will say that as well, um, there's a teammate on the PAC team, uh, his name is Rudy, and uh, he and I have uh, started this company called PaperTree. And so what PaperTree does, or what we've started to do is build this voting mechanism on top of Open Collective. So that way, I mean, Open Collective is already a platform used and trusted by 
mutual aid groups like that's like their target audience is these grassroots groups and organizers um, because they're open source they're very non-predatory um, as a fiscal host like they won't take fees unless you take fees like you know they're great and so we've kind of taken it a step further and build these built these voting features on top so that you know as you mentioned and aside from the one-to-one -one transaction or even just the way that mutual aid currently runs again like with these like few leaders at the helm of a mutual aid organization who secretly have all the keys despite all the voting that they might uh, do in the organization or you know they take on the most resp responsibility most of which a lot of them don't want you know we're building these tools and bringing them to local organizations so that they can truly democratize so that they could truly decentralize and I think that's important both in the short term for like helping them just like make decisions move more quickly um, but I think in the long term as well for getting people to feel ownership over the organization like not just feel it's another hierarchy within what is supposed to be a social good uh, group or a social impact group and well I think a lot of these leaders, especially in transient cities like New York, as people step down out of leadership to have those mechanisms in place so that someone else can easily slot in or, you know, so that the group is self-managing is crucial to these efforts surviving. So uh, just a little a little plug there. Yeah, Rudy and I are both a part of PACT, but also starting this effort called Paper Tree, which I think is doing exactly that. It's building technology for organizers to sustain. Yeah, that's that's really interesting compatibility between projects both interested in you know, increasing governance really and control over finances. So uh, I would ask what other projects are you interested in uh, or do you recognize as being aligned with PACT in this space? You know, I think people might actually not know about many projects less interested in making a quick buck and more interested in doing some kind of good. Uh, is there anyone else in Web3 that you know you have your eye on? Yeah, I mean, honestly, a lot of those folks have floated our way because we find ourselves in this smaller corner of the internet. So, you know, would definitely encourage people to check out Paper Tree. Rudy is a good friend, a great person. We met through Pact, and he's also my neighbor. Like, we organize locally. I think that was such an organic kind of connection, uh, you know, selfishly as well. Pact is a part of a group called uh, the Bread Chain Cooperative, and Bread Chain is, you know, this federation of post-capitalist projects that's really helping build these solidaristic relationships between organizations and finding this space in between. I think people on the left are working in social impact are always kind of plagued between like, oh, do we go for profit and, you know, maybe eventually get co-opted by capital or do we do the nonprofit method, which, you know, there's like a whole complex there. Yeah, I would definitely suggest checking out the Bread Chain Cooperative, Check out Paper Tree. Uh, other groups I'm inspired by are Circles UBI, our uh, Common Stack, Spirals is a really uh, cool organization as well. Yeah, and I think there's just people doing interesting things with um, financial tools, like Good Ghosting, for example, that does these like saving pools that uh, you know they use the yield to benefit these social good organizations are also really cool. Also, other groups doing interesting work in organizing is our good friends at LaborDAO. The Crypto Commons Association, if you're looking for community and people who are seeking to build, build through commons and yeah, this like strong regen network is present with the Crypto Commons community and they're great. So is there any question you think the listener might be interested in hearing about or um, something we might not have covered that you'd like to share about PACT? 
Yeah, a lot of people ask us if PACT is going to, or if PACT does any work outside of New York. I think that right now our goal is to focus where we can and focus locally because, you know, local organizing, there's just a ton of strength in, as mentioned throughout this interview. But our goal is to be as open source as possible with both our learnings and bumps in the road and the mistakes that we make and things that we, you know, learn from and improve on in our process. Um, but as well, again, with uh, different tooling that we hope to build and processes that will shape with uh, our fellow organizers. You know, we want to open source all of that information. We had launched a notion earlier in the year that has articles that we love that inform our work that has all of kind of the documentation around our progress and our purpose. And so I think in the short term, we're really focused on building these local institutions in New York, but having those learnings trickle out because certainly needs will be different in Los Angeles and Chicago in a suburban town in a rural town. But we hope that they can learn from our organizing strategies and from what we allow these tools to do for us. So you'd mentioned you know, the ideas that PAC could generate sort of trickling out and other people learning them. I wonder, and, you know, I encourage you to sort of engage in some speculation here, what that would look like for PAC to sort of network with very similar organizations present in other cities. Say PAC itself doesn't need to be governing work happening in Chicago, but what kind of sort of network, you know, in this distant future could you see um, happening between organizations? I think it's a good question. I think there's a lot we learn from working with different organizations. We've been compared a lot to, I believe there's like an Oakland organization that's creating like an Oakland coin. Um, and I think that the work that they're doing is very cool. So is there anything PACT has seen other organizations uh, like it do that it has decided might not be the best for PAC to pursue or might have a problem with or just generally didn't agree with? Yeah, I think that we've seen other localized organizations kind of lead token first. And for us, we just decided hard in the beginning that to tokenize anything would, um, would require a lot of thought and should be a collective process. I think coming to and to a true neighborhood, a true locality with a token without assigned value is kind of how I was saying earlier, even in just talking about crypto, we felt like outsiders. I feel like, you know, to financialize an aspect of people's lives, especially in a market that was so turbulent, it just requires a lot of thought and a lot of input from that community. So we didn't want to take that path and decide what was best for a community, especially without it having any utility from the start, you know? We didn't want to sell dreams to people without a strong infrastructure in place that could really make the coin something that works for them and not something that would fluctuate when they needed it. Yeah, as well, I think we saw a lot of organizations obviously take a very charity-like approach with their missions. You know, they would like throw parties and have a percentage of it go to some organization that they found on the internet or whatever. And I think we were very hard on being a part of local organizing and mutual aid and not just throwing parties and having a percentage of our money go to mutual aid. So people obviously do things how they want to, but I think for us, we just really wanted to immerse ourselves in local organizing and have that be a part of our mission, not because we throw some money at it, but because we embody it and because it's, you know, it's a part of the process of divorcing ourselves from capital and becoming more interdependent. It is a personal and a collective journey. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, it's very valuable. Um, 
think the think the center, um, the sort of stability of the service that you're offering, and you know, not making it contingent on the the whims of others. In the one hand, like a speculative token putting out, right? Like obviously, it's risky to have a resource that is used to meet people's material needs be subject to that. On the other hand, to something like yeah, a group that says we're going to donate fifty uh, percent of the party proceeds to a charity. Um, hopefully, lots of people show up to party. <laughs> you, you know, right. it's it's a right. uh, it, it's it's very much a different way in either case of thinking about because if you start from the, the premise that this this what we're bringing is not a service it is not a product it is rather than pact being on the outside trying to influence or donate into pact is really working with those already integrated into the community and working at this very horizontal level and it, it just takes a lot off the table from the traditional uh nonprofit charity playbook that frankly is not respectful in this hierarchical sense. It is paternalistic otherwise, and that's not mm -hmm. the case with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, if our goal is to be anti-capitalism, anti, you know, oppressive systems, like I think that both of these models are system affirming, right? Like I think that the reason people despise technology uh, in its current formats is because it is largely controlled by the hands of the wealthy and the hands of the privileged who put something out into the world with big promises, but then reap none of the negative push blowback when it fails. And so especially for something as crucial as people getting food or clothing or housing, you know, for us to have the balls, honestly, to like put something out, a token out into the world or do something without 100% certainty that we can maintain that thing and that will be stable for people in our community. It, it affirms a lot of that fear that people have of technology or that distrust that people have. And similar with kind of the party thing, right? I mean, I, I do agree. I do think that like, uh, there's pleasure activism, right? As Adrian Marie Brown talks about, I do, I don't think that you always need to be sweating and grinding it out. Like we recently just had like, a, a grassroots gathering where we like threw this party for grassroots organizers and I thought that was beautiful but I do think that having it be this afterthought where you know you're not changing your core behaviors you're not meeting people in the struggle you're you know kind of just throwing a party and calling yourself a good person for it because you only took home some of the profits from the ticket sales or whatever it might be um doesn't feel like exactly the same thing right it's yeah. like greenwashing a movement or um, I really love this paper from uh, Douglas B. Holt uh, who kind of talks about like how the sustainability movement isn't scaling and it's because he talks about how um, you know sustainability, social impact, regeneration, all these things that we talk about are um, are fed to a class or marketed to a class of people he calls bourgeoisie bohemians so bobos <laughs> for short and <laughs> and yeah, it creates kind of this divide um, between the people who would really benefit from these policies, like working class people, who he calls Main Street in his uh, paper. And yeah, and it gives this like false, it, it becomes another, like, it becomes another status symbol for wealthy people to be do-gooders and to be, you know, social impact people and people who eat farm to table and shop at ethical clothing stores or sustainable clothing stores that are marketed at high prices. And I don't know, all of that stuff just feels system affirming and like a, like an elitist way to look at social impact, which is obviously just not where we want to be.
Yeah, and I think that comparison to greenwashing is really important to bear in mind with crypto organizations that um, claim to, you know, do good work, claim to help people, um, you know, far more than, say, greenwashing. I think uh, crypto should be, have, you know, be under the microscope. It's a constant sort of need to defend itself um, because, frankly, what a lot of it, it is, it's just financial speculation and a small amount of people taking a lot of money home. So, you know, projects like Pact are the, uh, you know, the needle in the haystack, really. You know, it's, it's the real potential that we can see for this technology moving forward. And I think it's really valuable, uh, the work you're doing. And I, you know, would encourage anyone interested to um, reach out to Pact. Um, would you mind telling us where people could follow along, learn more about Pact if they're interested? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for the plug. Uh, if you want to find us, uh, we're on Twitter. Our handle is PactDAO, P-A-C-T-D-A-O. My name is Marissa Rando, uh, M-A-R-I-S-A underscore R-A-N-D-O. Yes, like a random person. Uh, and then uh, on Twitter, our handle is The Pact Collective. Uh, so you can find us there. Uh, you could always DM me personally. You can DM The Pact Twitter. We're on there pretty regularly. And yeah, um, also, if you want to just look at our website, uh, we, we've not done the best at branding in terms of, like, it's not a sexy website, but uh, you can find the info on us there. Um, it's pactow.xyz. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining, Marissa. Um, it's been a great interview, and um, yeah, wish you all the best and hope to see PAC succeed. Thanks, James. Great to talk to you. You've been listening to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio, a show that asks old questions about new tech. We've been speaking with Marissa Rando of PacDAO. If you'd like to find out more about her project, you can visit them at pacdao.xyz. That's P-A-C-T-D-A-O dot X-Y-Z. I'm James Brennan, today's host of Looks Like New, a production of CU's Media Enterprise Design Lab. You can find out more about our work at colorado.edu slash lab slash medlab. If you liked what you heard, please spread the word about this show and consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Leaving positive reviews will help our conversations reach more listeners. We would love to hear your comments or guest ideas. You can reach us by emailing medlab at colorado.edu. I hope you'll join us for another conversation next month.